Hello and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, how can managers and leaders be more successful at getting more of their people to bring more of their best self to work every day? If we could answer that question, we hold the keys to improved employee engagement, retention, loyalty, innovation, and sustainable performance. So it's quite an important question to answer. And there are many rewards waiting for you if you can. But the solutions to get you there are likely to involve you controlling less and enabling more, which is a concept which still scares too many leaders. Throughout the course of many of the episodes that we've recorded to date, this has been an underlying theme behind creating this stickier business I've been talking about. We've covered many topics and listened to the advice and experience of over 70 experts in their field to date all attempting to answer similar questions, and not one of them so far has said, be more controlling and increase your micromanagement. Well, today we continue our quest for answers by focusing in on the topic of coaching, but with what I hope is an interesting and modern twist. We've talked previously about the importance of coaching as a skill for modern leaders and the impact it can have on our teams, but today we're going to go a bit further, a bit deeper into how it can be used to really release an individual's very best stuff. Maybe, maybe even encouraging, releasing or enabling some untapped genius. Now with me today is Miles Downey, who's a highly respected authority on performance coaching and leadership. He's the founder of the School of Coaching and is the author of three Amazon bestsellers, including Effective Modern Coaching, Effective Coaching, and Enabling Genius, a Mindset for Success in the 21st Century. Now, Miles has helped many organizations create a culture of genius by enabling authority and autonomy in their teams, fostering a mindset of continuous learning and promoting flow state in their leaders. So, who better to help us in our challenge to answer the question of how to increase engagement and performance than Miles. Welcome to the show, Miles. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. It sounds like quite a task. <laughs> <laughs> it is a task, isn't it? But it's a happy task. It's one we're happy to take on on the podcast. And I'm absolutely confident that you're going to shed some interesting light and perspectives on you know, another way to deliver this quest that we're all on to have people really bring their best selves, really put no limits on their potential and just have a better time at work. And, and we all mm. achieve great things out of the back mm. of that. 
Agreed. Agreed. Miles, do me a quick favour, will you, my friend, before we get all excited and start bashing away at this this coaching uh-huh. and enabling genius thing, just give me and the listeners a little bit of your background and tell us what you're currently focused on right now. So um, background, um, I'm actually an architect by training. Oh well, there you go. Uh, which is yeah, which surprises me. Um, and <laughs> I, I I lasted a year in an architect's office in Dublin, um, realizing that the the way in which these things ran out was that it was going to be fifteen years before I made my way up through the drawing office to being a partner or something. <laughs> uh, and I thought I couldn't really wait that, that time. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, I read a book called The Inner Game of Tennis. Ah, and I was a, um, a relatively good tennis player I, I say relatively and you'll now understand what i mean by relatively when i tell you that i'm irish <laughs> so um the context wasn't that strong um uh but i played competitive tennis and and the book was an absolute revelation because it was it was telling me rather than doing what my the, the people who were kind of team captains and whatever else were telling me to do which was to play the percentages mm. be safe Mm. It was telling me to let go and trust myself. Wow. And it was, it, and you know, growing up in Holy Catholic Ireland, um, that was a, a profoundly different message. So that, so that I, I then studied with um, friends of Tim Galway and then ultimately met Tim Galway, the author of the book. We set up an organization in 87, 88 called the Alexander Corporation, which was the first coaching house. And we were blessed because McKinsey, the strategic management consultancy were sure. one of our clients. Ah, amazing. So, so yeah, it really was because they they taught me that it's all very well to kind of speak this tree hugging stuff, but that if you didn't actually put, couch it in terms that made sense to a business, yeah, um, you weren't going to be in the game for very long. So that was a, a, a really and, and and they've been a client of mine ever since, and that's you know thirty something years. Hey, congratulations! That's, uh, that's yeah, a good relationship there. Yeah, it is, and um, uh, and that then became I, you know, I outgrew that role in that organization, not the people and not what I was doing, but it was I, I and and set up the school of coaching as the first place where we could train people to coach both professional coaches and leaders who uh, needed to add that skill to what they were doing. Mm. Then that became, somebody asked me to write a book about it, and I did, and that kind of grew from there. So I've been, last few years, uh, I've, ju- I've just stepped back into the world of executive coaching, so I'm, uh, I have the reputation, whether it's true or not is another their story, <laughs> of being one of the few people who can work in the C-suite. So that's a good reputation to that's have. That's a so nice I'm reputation trying, to Trying have. to get back in there. Um, and the book that I wrote first in uh, uh, 1990, yes, 1996, no, 1999, it was published. I've I've rewritten it or edited it twice since. So I'm now on my fourth editing. So ah. that's there. So yeah, ever, so it's, ever, it's, ever more relevant, I'm sure. Yeah, and 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 the pleasure is that having taught and and performed the coaching. Um, that the, the, there's a, an interconnection between those things. That means you constantly learn. So, yeah, we'll see. Oh, well, I'm sure continuous learning and development will come up somewhere in the chat. Yeah, today you never know. As we, as we get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so look, um, this, you mentioned, yeah, a bit of a quest right at the start. When we talk about stickier businesses, or rather when I talk about stickier businesses, yeah. this is all about this concept of having a place where people really love what they do 
Yeah. And actually your customers go on to love what you do because of the way you yeah. do it and everything else, all that lovely, good ecosystem. Yeah. But if we are really trying to get the best out of our people today, and actually you just talked about your fourth edit of a book, what are the things we should be focusing on? Where should we be paying most attention? And what's going on in the world of business? Come back to your fourth edit that's sort of showing why these things are important and actually perhaps how things have changed recently. Yeah, it's it's, it's such a big question and such a complex one. And there's so many moving and interacting parts. You don't have to go back too far to kind of be very, very clear that we live in a constrained world. Hmm in which the requirement is to be compliant. That's how you make, that's how you progress. So I, I didn't stay in the architect's office because I couldn't do that. Um, but that, and if you look at the kind of the, the, the history of management, you, you kind of get from, you know, Henry Ford's insights that lead you to line management. And then a good bit later, you get to, you know, and, and that's all about in more and more process. Yeah. And then you get to total quality management. And guess what? That's all about more and more process. And then you get to business process re-engineering. <laughs> and then you get to Six Sigma, where there are where kind of there are virtually no errors being created through the, the management process. Yeah. And of course, what a number of things happen. One is you become reliant on process. Mm. And two is you either forget about the people, as as Mike Hammer said once. He said, you know, we made a mistake, we forgot about the people. He actually yeah. he was the guy behind business process re-engineering. So, or you start applying those processes to people. So you end up with competencies yeah. and people jumping through hoops. So we're frankly, <laughs> um, and it's like, you know, because, because there is no space. For, here's the, but the, there's, there's, there's the potential for something different because when you look at what they're, what they're doing now with agility, when you look at what they're, you know, which is about how you bring human ingenuity to, into the situation, uh, to a large degree, there's a lot of process in there too, of course. But but you know, coaching is written into the DNA of agility. Um, and you look at at the speed at which things are moving. You look at the the interconnectedness in, in business um, or the need for it. Um, you 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 can't do that with process. You got to bring the human being back into if, you know center stage. And I think that's you know the, 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 there are those two competing things. There are so many forces in the world that pull us from out of connection with the world from our mobile phones to you know uh, artificial intelligence which can be you know good or evil yeah um and 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 the danger is we forget the human being again the, but the but, but the need now is to bring the human being back in and so my answer to your question is where should we focus we should focus on the people yeah i, th I well i mean i'm in, obviously in wholehearted agreement with you i just think we've um and we've 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 mentioned this on many episodes before, but I think the pandemic gave us a bit more focus on people, whether it was genuine or forced. There was a sort of bow wave, I've called it, of humanity that came back into business. I'm not so sure it's stuck because I think we're seeing lots of people still wrestle with that concept and trying to get back to what they they believe is is normal. But there's there's undoubtedly. It's a it's a harmony of those the, the people and the process. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, has to be, but there has to be real focus on explaining why and how to the people and getting them to work it out for themselves that this is this is a good thing and this will help and make them better and all those sort of great great things. So when you think about this changing world, more more complex, faster paced, I guess maybe even greater expectations are on people of people. 
when you're thinking about coaching, when you're thinking about skills, or you've used the word competencies that leadership really need to have that back up this coaching approach, what are the key tenets that you believe in and coach by yourself? As we attempt to move out of command and control, yeah. So I mean, you know, we, you know, people have been for 20, 30 years, people have talking about, been talking about the death of command and control. And frankly, it's still the default position for most people. Um, and lots of people in senior positions quite like it because it gives them the illusion of being controlled so they can sleep at night. But it's, 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 it's now, it's now a problem rather than something that actually to some degree served us. So, you know, there are those who argue in its time it was appropriate. So what, what, I'm seeing and trying to push and put energy behind is from moving from command and control. Most people haven't known to what. Yeah. So we, I did some kind of, I did some kind of, you might call it research. You, you might call it something else. Um, <laughs> but, but I looked at two organization types that really need to get the best out of their people. And it was kind of surprising because when I, you start pushing into that, you get to the army pretty quickly. Okay. Um, and, and, and you look at the, the what you know, um, uh, mission command in the army um, is is quite different from what one imagines an army to be. It, it because the fundamental tenet is to trust your people. Yeah. It's the second one is to have, make sure that they have the context um, so that they can make decisions. So when you're cut off from the you know, central command, you you're in a position where you can make decisions for yourself. So this that was a really really interesting thing. And the second one was looking at. Um, really good startups where you're where you're burning somebody else's money so the demand is to get the return as quickly as you can and that means the people they've got to be highly effective so a tenant in in the world of 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 um a, a startup is that you that you know everybody should know what the primary business objective is and i i was i spent four years very recently on a, working on a mobile learning platform in a very highly stressed environment great fun most most of the time but you know it, it was constantly what what's what's the primary business objective and how does what's on your desk contribute to that because if it doesn't do something else so that led me to the notion of align and enable so so the move the shift is from command and control to align and enable and align means that there's an alignment between at the level of task between what I'm doing and the overarching mission. Alignment means that there's an alignment between me and the organization. So at the level of task and at the level of person, so that I, I can see my contribution to the bigger picture. And that breaks down then into three, three, three skill sets and relationships. So the three skills are lead, a verb, so not leadership, lead, manage, a verb, coach, a verb. And I've got those in my head as three circles with lead at the top, manage on the right-hand side, coach on the um, left-hand side, and uh, on a platform, like a foundation of trust relationships. So, so trust, uh, yeah, trust-based relationships. And when you when you've got those things in place, the the lead is why that everybody should understand the context. The manage is what that I should know what I'm doing. And it should be clear between us. And the coach is how. And it's it's so simple. And if you get that right, then you've you've begun to create the conditions in which people have clarity. Because if I know why I'm doing something, what exactly it is, and how I'm going to do it, I'm in motion. I, I absolutely love that because 
I get frustrated by the command and control default position. And often when you're having conversations with maybe prospective clients or you're doing leadership development programs with emerging leaders, often you get the, well, that doesn't work for the army is all command and control. And I think the piece they always miss is that context. And when you leave out that context, like for instance, when you know, leadership teams have, have thought about, planned a project for goodness knows how long, and then they decide they're going to tell the world what it's going to be. I remember because I've sat in those four, four or four yeah. rooms. People go, well, they don't need to know that. We don't need to know that. We, we forget that we need yeah. to take the journey that we've been on yeah. through to our people. Yeah. Otherwise, they miss the connection. They just, yeah. and, and I think that point about really seeing how you contribute. You know, not not this stuff about what's in it for me. It's actually how do oh, I add value? Yes, that's a very important distinction. Yes, yeah, I mean, massively important. Um, within the the skill sets, and 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 I think lead managed coach love that. Within the skill sets themselves, what are we looking for when it really comes to coaching? I mean, we have touched on the subject of things like emotional intelligence and what have you before, focusing on things like, um resilience and adaptability when you think about this changing landscape when you're thinking about really trying to get effective coaching in place how do these these things play a role in what what you do mars so first of all we we need to be clear about what coaching means because it's been it's kind of been stolen by people who don't know what they're doing (laughs) um if you speak to most people in organizations who are responsible for the coaching agenda they haven't a clue. They don't. They they don't have. You know, even the big organizations like ICF, International Coach Federation, or EMCC, European Coaching and Mentoring, whatever they are, Council, good people. Um, they you know, they don't have definitions. Mm. They'll talk to you about ethics all day, but they don't have definitions. And that's really that's really problematic because the coaching has become, for many people, about learning and development. Yeah. And excuse me. I, mean, I, I worked with the, the the coaches, the senior coaches to England rugby a few years back under Eddie Jones, which was hilarious. And so, <laughs> God, that's um, a whole of us. But it was great fun. He's a smart cookie for you know, um, with a, an addiction to um, micromanagement. Unfortunately, uh, so yeah, we, we, we had that. we had a few clashes. But it was like if you know if if I if if Eddie was told what coaching was in in large corporates, he, his eyes would pop out of his head because it's got nothing to do with performance at all. It's all about development. I mean, I'm exaggerating for the sake of the, oh, sure. the conversation, uh, but but it's fundamentally true, and that's a problem. So so in, so in when I talk about coaching, I'm talking about having a conversation with somebody so that they perform more effectively. Yeah. Uh, so that's most, 70% of that is about the job or tasks they have, and sometimes it's about what they need to learn mm. and develop in themselves. Mm. That's it. So, so I, I want for those people who are managers and, and it, you know our our listeners should should be so blessed to have some. Um, is you know is be clear that coaching is a way of helping somebody be more effective and perform and be successful. It's it's not it's it's not about you having deep and meaning and profound conversations with a member of your team. Have them by all means, but that's not what I'm talking about. And that's the that's the thing that I think is really important in the whole. In the yeah, whole I think self. So awareness and discovery are all important parts of the journey but when it comes down to this this is practically about getting someone to bring more of their best 
to yeah. show right more yeah. often, right? Yeah. And be more effective. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we've said command and control is a bit of a thing. Uh we wanna we want to move to align and enable. We we're talking about the reality is here for coaching is this is just about effective perform more effective performance of individuals in yeah. in their roles. There is elements here about I guess having to have emotional intelligence, right, to be able to have a good conversation, be challenging, mm-hmm. understand the signs, all those kind of yeah. good good things. When you talk in your books, and when I think I mentioned it even in the in the intro, you talk about tapping into a flow state. Mm. Right. Now, again, when we're thinking about how we help people get into those states what what is it we're looking for how, how do we how do we achieve that and how important is it so if if you define flow uh, as some would as being the mental state in which people perform to their best um then in one way shape or form all sports people and athletes and elite performers know that they may construe it differently. They they will construe it differently, but but they will also. If you start asking them, and I have done, um, you know, to describe to me when you're at your best, and and what they describe is a state of. Um, there are some characteristics to that state. Uh, they, that that they are total absorption in, in what they're doing. No no distractions. Mm. Um, a kind of a, a sense of self belief and confidence that is that's not arrogance, but it's just you know it's it's it, um, and there, and there are some kind of stranger signifiers of it. Kind of you know, time seems to almost kind of mm-hmm. both stand still and accelerate. So you see, you know, things happen happen in a different way. You, if you're playing tennis, the ball seems bigger. You're not se- you're not second guessing yourself. You have clarity about what to execute. Um, and and in that place, it seems more of what we are as human beings is available to us. Mm. So we do things that surprise ourselves. We, we we play shots we didn't know. We I, I hit a shot yesterday, and my coach actually stopped and looked at me and said, "He said, how did you do that?" <laughs> to which the only answer is, "Well, I'm not telling you." Um, it's, it's like, but so so but but it was because I was just in that moment. I was completely there, and I I I felt something before I did it, mm. and 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 executed something I've never done before, um, and just sheer joy. So if you know, we know that that, that about that place, and you know, all sports commentators talk about it. You know, oh, he's completely in the zone, or you know, whatever. Uh, uh, but they talk about it as if it was this magical thing, yeah. Without realizing that actually, if you're not, there's always some flow. It's not a question of being in flow or out of flow. There's always some flow. If, if there's no flow, you're dead. Yeah. So it's about it's about finding the tiniest bit of flow and and fanning that flame and, and bringing it into life. So so yes, I'm 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 trying to you know help very busy, um, typically more senior. Mm. Um, uh, people in business in leadership positions with with huge demands on their time find ways of getting to that a, a, a greater state of flow. And some of it's really simple. Some of it's about understanding what the primary business objective is. Sure. Um, 
some of it is about having um, real clarity of intention for almost everything you do. Um, and, and, and obviously the world comes and bites you on the ass every now and again, and you can't do it all the time. But if you can increase the amount of time you're doing that, you're in that state of flow, that's, that's just hugely valid. Um, and, and so what you, you know, even things we do traditionally that you're kind of making a to-do list. If, if the function of the to-do list is to help you not forget things, that's all well and good. Or if it's a device about effectiveness, that's all well and good. But actually, if you reframe that as a way of keeping you in flow, then it becomes a completely different tool. Yeah. I think that intentionality is so, so important, right? Yeah. It's the biggest um, game in town. It's the most yeah. difficult game in town. But yeah. Yeah. I, I think... I mean, I don't even consider myself an athlete at all, but, you know, in the dark and dirty secret that I've shared on here occasionally that I play lawn bowls uh, as, as a hobby, you know, even even in last night's game, there were times when, you know, delivering weight with a bowl is the most frustrating yeah. thing, right, yeah. in, the, in the game. Yeah. And if you think about it too much, yeah. you have a problem. There yeah. were times when last night when I wasn't thinking about it at all and it was bang on every time. It's just, just, it's almost an unconscious thing. In, I was intentional to deliver the shot I wanted to deliver, yeah. but the deliver of it was completely unconscious. Yeah. Uh, and I, and that, that's, that's an interesting thing to sort of yeah. relay back to business. There are times when you've been incredibly productive or incredibly yeah. effective or communicated brilliantly. That to me is the, is the delivery of, of a flow state. Yeah. at work right yeah. but i know what i want to do was intentional with it but i wasn't overthinking it it just kind yeah. of so happened. so miss, this is the, I'm, I'm i'm kind of slightly cutting across you i apologize no, but go. galway had a brilliant way of talking this which which uh, which is for many people more accessible than the notion of flow and you've kind of described it so he just he said there there are there there are two selves self yeah. one and self two mm -hmm. and self one is that part of you that exists in fear and doubt and trying to get things right and wanting to be in control. So in you, in us all, there is this, um, you know, if we're back to command and control, but it's, it's how we, we, you know, we try and control ourselves yeah. and we try and get things right. And we try and make up the rules for how things should be done. And it's like, Ooh, because what they ultimately become is, 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 is things we beat ourselves up with. So that's self one. As Galway said about it, no earthly use. So it doesn't have a function. It just gets in the way. Mm. And um, and then self too is um, you with all your abilities um, executing impeccably. And we've all had that experience. So the question is how you get more of it, and that's yes. that's the quest. But the, but the first part of it is that you have to let go of self one. You have to let go of that voice in your head that says. Do it this way. Be a good boy. Um, follow the rules. You know, play the percentages. Yeah. <laughs> and that's tough because everything in, in, in life and in society builds a self one. Little, little enables a self two. That's, that, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. And I'm, I'm thinking maybe incorrectly, but there's a link here to this thing that you talk about that I'm really interested in about enabling genius. Yeah. And I want to, I want to understand what that means. And I want to understand, <laughs> is it something we all have? Um, and how does it really show up and add value in organizations? Can you take me through that whole enabling genius piece, Mars, please? 
So it came about because there were people asking me, saying, I really like your coaching, but we've I, I need to do something more to really, you know, because I've got this big job coming up or there's this, you know, big project and, and I need to be able to exploit all my potential to be able to do that thing. So and I said, okay, so oh, I have to think differently about it. Because when, and, and kind of part of it was also that the notion of potential had, has be kind of become degraded. You use that word, you say, you know, everybody has potential. And but before, before you got to the end of that sentence, half the room would have fallen asleep because it just doesn't register anymore. <laughs> What's really challenging is if you say if people have genius, everybody's got genius. Because as far as I could work out when I started researching the book, there were only two people that were understood to be a genius. Um, and Einstein and Mozart. Yeah. And there was a deep problem there because both of them are men. So that can't be, you know, that, that's a bit excluding. And they're both dead, which is equally excluding. <laughs> it's unhelpful. Um, so as I said, that really doesn't work. So there's got to be a better, better way of thinking about genius. So my way of thinking about genius is that it's the embodiment of your particular, your unique potential. Right. So if you can put a shape on your potential, rather than talking about something that's abstract, all kinds of things begin to break loose at that moment. So, you know, as I, I play competitive tennis and I use the tennis as a laboratory while writing the book, Enabling Genius. And, and it became clear that I had to be, understand what that embodiment of my genius as a tennis player was. So what's my unique individual genius as a tennis player? And it took me, a, you know, it wasn't instantaneous to get to it. It took me a while. But it, but I got to it, and it's called Big Zen Cat. Big so Zen big, Cat. Big okay. Zen Cat. Big Zen Cat. It, it, three words crammed into one. Big is I hit. I'm, I I I I was capable of sparring with people in the top hundred when I was in my early twenties. I now hit the ball harder at sixty four than I did then. So 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 big means um, I hit the ball with topspin deep and hard at the back of the court. That then creates the room for cat. So cat is about killing the point as quickly as I don't want to, I don't want to end up having punishing rallies with people who just push the ball around. So I want to kill it quickly so that I can kind of, you know, I save my body for next week. <laughs> um, so, so, so big, powerful, deep, that creates the opening for me to kill the ball. So I might, my, and then Zen is about how I manage my concentration and my energy on the court. Um, and so once I know that that's who I am on the tennis court, it also tells me what I need to do. It tells me that I need to hit the ball deep. So I practice that. Mm. So I practice a routine with my coach where I hit one ball slightly to, towards their backhand side. That normally puts the ball back in the middle of the court. So I can now hit it even further out to their backhand side. So they're now being dragged off the court. And then I kick and then I push the ball back into the, into the forehand side because they're not there. Mm. So I mm. practice that three shot drill until I don't have to think about it anymore. Brilliant. Um, and, and there are other tactics that come out of being big Zen cat. So I get to, into a silly situation in tennis court where my, my mind self one is crowding back in, um, you know, all these people watching and uh, it's, a, it's a lousy day and I hate playing in the rain and you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So, Shut up. It's just stuff. <laughs> What's the strategy? Oh, big Zen cat. And the minute I say it, I relax. And I and I know how to execute. Nice. Does it work all the time? No, 
but but I get into flow. So yeah, so I work with with one of the things I do with my the people I coach with leaders is is to say, okay, so hold on, wait a minute. What's your unique individual genius as a leader? Mm-hmm. You know, how how do you do it? I mean, not what you learned in Harvard or wherever it was, or not what you learned from your previous managers who probably just fucked you up. So it's like, no, how, what is it that you need that, that that your unique genius is as a leader? And I had a beautiful moment with a, a very special woman who. um was in a, uh, a city borough, big Midland city borough, um, as as one of the, the, the executive team, and um, she thought that um, largely because she hadn't thought about it a lot, that what that what what she brought to her team was kind of a nurturing, um, you know, taking care of vibe. And when I asked her as part of the process, said, "Hold on, wait, wait a minute, what do people come to you for?" Mm. And, and, and it was a, the, the shocking realization was that they, people came to her for strategic insight. Right. But you see, as a woman in a man's world, that's not her job, you know? So yeah. she, so she, so she kind of, she hid, hid that one, that one, you know, I hid that light. And, but, and then the dawning realization that that's what it was. Mm. And it's okay. So how do we manifest more of that? Yeah. That's a powerful moment, oh, though, right? Oh, gee, transformative. Yeah. Utterly transformative. So and so that's what that's what I mean by genius is, yeah. is embodying your potential and lighting it up. You know, go out and act on the basis. Do what you're great at, and do it more often, and, and, and do it yeah. <laughs> and do it better. Yeah. yeah, do it better. Brilliant. And typically, you know, if you if you go behind the scenes of this enabling genius, is there a kind of is there a framework behind it? Yeah, and it's 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 the right question because what, what I pulled about twenty people together to help me, um, you know, as a team, not not to help me, uh, but so that so that we could get to some understanding of what was going on. And our intention was to have um, your word, a framework mm. that would allow us to coach our clients. So we with that. In mind, we then went and looked at people who had demonstrated greatness. Okay, across all kinds of spheres, from uh, Charles Hazelwood, the extraordinary um, uh, music uh, conductor, um, kind of a slight maverick in his early days, um, does things very anyway, all kinds of people. Uh, the guy who was um, led the, the the Red Arrows. Um, uh, okay, you know, so so you know, really diverse people. Yeah, yeah. And and some people who you, you recognize more easily can kind of in the world of sports and whatever else. And and what we found as you look into what people do was one was that they had a clear sense of their identity. So, you know, you, you look at in my sport, Nadal and Federer, they do the game completely differently. Yeah. But they're both playing the same game. And what I would suggest is that they found out what their 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 identity, their unique individual genius is in the world of tennis. Yeah. So you need to, so identity was one. The next was, was um, I've labeled it different things, drive, desire. I'm now back to the word will. So it's about motivation. Those people demonstrate um, uh, a, a will in the moment that drives them on. Um, uh, uh, you know, so, when, so in, in the depths of despair, they keep, you know, they keep going. A resilience over time. Um, a, a focus and, and so that's will yep. and mindset is the third. So most of those people have a, a mindset that says, um, 
that that for success. Yeah, and they have clarity about what that mindset is to a greater or lesser degree. But what's what's interesting about all those three things is that people think about many of them as you know mindset. Uh, you know, well, I am that way. You know, I'm, I'm you know, I, you know, I, you know, and so and I can't change. And they, and they think about will as if motivation, as if they were given a fixed quotient at birth. And, and there was, and, and, you know, and, and, and but you know, identity, you can learn about, you can develop, you can change. It'll change over time. Um, as you move through different stages of life, um, will you can, you can develop, you can make your will stronger. Yeah. Mindset. Exactly. Do you even know what your own mindset is? So you can examine that and you can create and build a mindset. So what overlapped over those three notions is the idea of learning and development. And that was kind of the thing that locked the three into place. Um, so those those things. I, I love that. And and I guess coming back to a point you made before, there's elements of choice in all of those things and yeah. a degree of intentionality, right? I mean, that's, yes. that's the multiplier within that, right? Yes, right, really, that's good. Yes, yes. In, in terms of then if we're kind of – if we're looking at the need for this stuff and we're looking at this particular drive and focus in this area of – releasing full potential but in your words much much more exciting in enabling the genius in your experience in the clients that you work with in the businesses that you have helped what are you seeing as the tangible benefits which i guess comes back to the mckinsey thing of if if this doesn't work in business language just go hug a tree forget about it when we're thinking about performance and retention and engagement what, what do you see the result here what, what what is happening and and why do you think that is I, I i i can answer the from two perspectives and one is from the corporate perspective and the the, the answer there is nothing's happening really okay um, that that is that that there there's of course there are people who talk about leadership and do leadership things and people in organizations that are but we're still broadly caught in command to control and in you know, people in doubt revert to process. Yep. We'll, then we'll set up a team to talk about that. We'll have a committee to talk about that mm-hmm. rather than cracking in the minute. So you are, you, I, th- I think the, the, the brighter uh, lights are, are things like you know, in the world of of uh, startups and entrepreneurialism, there is an emerging understanding of something you might call entrepreneurial mindset, mm-hmm. um, and that has huge potential. So agility and uh, and all and and working in agile ways, great stuff there. That is actually you know entering into mainstream work. I'm con- contradicting what I said said a few seconds ago, um, and 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 the entrepreneurial mindset, but but you. The fear at the top of organizations of losing control is just so great. And the level of, of micromanagement that goes on is so great that it's, that it's a, it's an uphill battle. On the other hand, change happens one person at a time. And that's what we forget. Mm. So we, we, so we try and broad brushstroke change an organization, um, by, by writing things on posters and sticking them on the wall in reception. Um, <laughs> and, and, and we think that's the job done. Um, and, yeah. So, so where, where I've had fun and where I've made a difference is where I'm working with the leadership of a division of an organization or coaching a startup and, and you've got a leader who's up for it. 
and then you can make real change. And the change happens in terms of people hitting and exceeding objectives, of people stepping up to a higher level of, of productivity and performance, of self-confidence, of clarity and speed of decision-making. Um, so, you know, there are, there are broad di- dimensions down which you can measure those changes. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, I, I, the coaching, most of the coaching I do, my first question is, is when I meet somebody is to make it really clear we're not talking about them being a better person. I'll say, so what's the job? And if I don't understand what the job is, then I can't coach them. There you go. Fascinating. It's ironic, isn't it? I'm listening to this conversation and we've talked about some really interesting concepts. The concept of fear of change in the first place, I think is really interesting because Mm. that fear leads us to go into the command and control aspect and control is what restricts genius. Ultimately, doesn't it? It's the thing that restricts genius. And all the time on this podcast or if I'm doing leadership dev work or whatever it is, we talk about this concept of, of letting go, which is the complete reversal of fear. Of, of of letting go and that is yeah what will enable the genius yeah. and all the benefits you've just talked about do not come from control <laughs> they come from letting the genie out the bottle and yeah. so it's just to me it's it's entirely ironic that yeah. the default for position for people still today is control because yeah. that gives me power yeah but it doesn't bring you sustainable results it doesn't no. do anything like that which i think is yeah. It's just ironic. Um, Mars, as we're nearing the end of our time together, which for me is desperately disappointing because yeah. this is this has been great. Um, what I would like you to try and do is if you were to summarize all of your wit, wisdom, knowledge that you could leave behind for me, uh, for my listeners and myself, but you can only fit it on three little sticky notes. What three little sticky notes would you leave behind uh, at the end of today's episode, my friend? Wow. Um, and what's that's entertaining is I was listening to the radio, I think it was yesterday, the day before, and somebody reported that uh, somebody doing an interview was asked this question and they had oh, really? no idea what to say. And they had a matchbox in their hand and they looked at the matchbox and they said, well, those covers before striking. Keep out of reach of children. <laughs> this, this, was, this was appreciated as great wisdom. So I can't do the great wisdom, but I'll try and answer the question. I, I think that, the, you know, it's kind of prosaic and simple, but it doesn't happen like it should. You know, if you're a, a manager in, in a leader in a business, meet with your team members individually on a regular basis um, and, and, and have really clear and you know about what that's about you know that 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 most people in work at whatever level do not have real day-to-day clarity about what's important and what they should be doing and you know so have that conversation keep people focused on what's important they'll then deliver they'll have more fun they'll feel you know rewarded intrinsically and probably ultimately extrinsically so have that be so meet clarity feedback that that's kind of just so important. Um, another thing that, that I think I would have on a on a post-it would be um or a stick would be uh find out what your 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 each individual in your team is great at. And even if it's not work related, 
um, know that what you're trying to do is tap into that genius. You know, it's, I, I said once in a conference quite recently, words that came utterly spontaneously, which was, you know, um, can you imagine if every teacher in the country stood at the front of the room and looked out over their class of young charges and said, I wonder what the unique individual genius of each of those people is. Brilliant. It, it would be just utterly f-ing transformative. So yeah. understand what your each member of your team is great at. And the, and the third one is, it's almost counterintuitive and very difficult to do in, in, um, in the way our, our work is configured. Take time to think. <laughs> Just you step back, pause, and think about what you're doing, where you're going, where, what you, the work, your people, all of that. Take time to think because the clarity you get up out of that will allow you to be more focused and more accurate in the interventions you make thereafter, which frankly is all that coaching is about in the first place. Well, a lovely, lovely way to circle and no matchbox in sight, Miles, Mm, with those sticky notes. Very, very good. Miles, I have really enjoyed talking to you. My head is full of all sorts of stuff that I want to go away and think about and do. Um, if people want to find out a bit more about you and what you do in the books, where, where can they find that stuff out, Miles? You go to my website, Miles with Miles with a Y, the Irish spelling, <laughs> milesdowney.com. Or I'm, the, I'm on LinkedIn. You type in my name, you'll find me. It's, Brilliant. You type my name into Google. <laughs> you find a lot of rubbish about me very, very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will put none of the rubbish, but all the good Thank stuff you. in the show notes, yeah, my friend. And people can easily access that. Mars, thank you so much for joining me today. I've really enjoyed our chat. It's been um, great fun. Uh, I hope we keep in touch, and I would love to speak yes, to you again soon. We'll do um, that. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. You take care today. Real enjoyment. Thank you. Okay, everyone. That was Miles Downey. And if you'd like to find out a bit more about him or any of the things that we've talked about today, please go ahead and check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.